Exodus 34, starting at verse 27. When the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians, chapter chapter 3, verses 7 to 18. It can be found on page 802 of the small print Bible in the chairs and 1795 of the large print Bibles. That's 802 of the small print Bibles and 1795 of the large print Bibles. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 18. The greater glory of the new covenant. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-creasing in glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. 
this address comes in three parts. First, I'm going to have to give you a lot of background. Then we'll look at the passage and then I'll make two applications from it. Um, as Bruce said, you read some things and you think, what on earth is it all about? Well, I can understand that with this passage, it is not easy. But it is actually an extremely important, all the Bible is important, but this passage is an extremely important passage of the Bible, uh, which I'll explain when I get to application. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we turn to your word, you will sharpen our minds and help us to be able to think clearly about what you have to say to us and help us to understand it and then to apply it to our lives. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are all brought up to do our duty or to follow certain rules. No dessert if you don't eat your vegetables. A friend of mine had this rule. No prayer, no paper. He had to say his prayers before he could read the Sydney Morning Herald. Having brought the Israelites into a relationship with himself, God made promises to them which we call the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant had three subsets of rules regarding the duties that people were to perform who had a relationship with him. It's a little bit like saying, you live in my house, you live this way. And so, first of all, there was the ceremonial aspect, the rules which covered the religious practices of the day in the temple or in the synagogue or in their own private life. You know, they had to pray at certain times of the day and things like that. Secondly, the Old Covenant had in it civil laws, which were to do with the government of the country. Thirdly, and this is where most of the problems arose between the religious leaders of the day and the Lord Jesus, there was a moral code, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, six days shall you labour and do all the work that you have to do. Now, to try and understand all the rules, the rabbis and the Pharisees and others teachers of the law made certain rules within it so that people could sort of say, okay, this is what the law says and generally, now we'll drill down and make it specific. For example, in regards to the law about um, how much work you could do on a, on a day and what you could actually do, they made one rule where you were only allowed to walk one mile on the Sabbath. So if you wanted to visit a friend and they lived more than a mile away from you, you either couldn't go on the Sabbath or you had to go and stay with somebody else who lived closer than a mile to them so that you could actually go. Another rule, which was rather uncomfortable, was this. You weren't allowed to pick up your cutlery off the table on the Sabbath. So you had to go to bed on Friday night with your knife, fork and spoon on a string around your neck. 
You were allowed to take it off there, but you couldn't pick it up. So it actually got like that, that the rules became so restrictive. And so when Jesus comes, because they had turned their faith into rules rather than a relationship with God, Jesus comes to them and he does all sorts of things which they do not like such as healing people on the Sabbath. And this is why, in the end, Jesus says to the people of the day, come unto me, all who are weary. Now, it wasn't weary from changing nappies or cooking the meal or working in, in the fields. It was weary from trying to earn your salvation. It was weary and heavy laden because they were bowed down by 900 rules. In other words, you got to the resurrection after this life because you kept the rules. And Paul understood that. And that's why he wrote these words in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4 where there is where he is discussing the value of Jesus. He says, If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, Faultless. Paul and his parents had observed all the religious laws as best they could. He was circumcised on the eighth day. In regards to pedigree, he was a pure breed. He wasn't a bitzer of any sort. He was a pure breed. You know, a Hebrew um, of the tribe of Benjamin, which was the favoured tribe, the most popular tribe because they were good warriors and Jerusalem had been built on their land. And in regards to legalistic righteousness, faultless. So if anyone could be saved by good works, it was Paul. And so that is the backstory to what Paul brings to this very complicated passage. The people... Paul had gone to Corinth somewhere between 50 and 52 AD, told people about the salvation through Jesus, and the church had grown to about 200 people by the time this letter was written. But in the church had come some squeaky wheels. People who were saying, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to keep certain rules. Rules that, the, that were Moses had been given by God. Or they, we're not sure, but we think that that was the case, but they also may have been people who said, as I said to you last week, they were people who had said, there's no problems in the Christian life, you triumph all the time, you live the victorious Christian life, to use an old phrase. So what they were doing was saying you have to have a relationship with God, i.e. you have to have a relationship with Jesus, 
but also to make sure of your salvation, you have to keep these rules. And so Paul then goes through in this passage and points out the difference between the Old Testament covenant and the New Covenant. And so now I turn to these verses. And he says to us in verse 7, Now if the ministry that brought death, now that's the Old Covenant, why did it bring death? It brought death because people couldn't fulfil it. You know, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt honour your mother and father. In other words, they failed. They did one thing wrong, you're out. You see, there are two ways to heaven. First, you can be perfect. You can keep the law. If you can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, all your life you'll go to heaven. So, you can't, can you? So... It's through faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And so this, this law, the old covenant, brought death because nobody could keep it. And it was engraved, as it says, in stone, and it came with glory. And we saw when the passage that Margaret read to us, Moses was with God. And just as the moon reflects light, Moses reflected the glory of God. And he comes down from the mountain. Uh, But we are told here that in verse 7 that the glory is transitory, that it stopped. You know, ladies, if you go and have a facelift, your face glows for a while. But the next day it doesn't glow so much. And that's the same with the law. Though it... It will not the ministry of the Spirit, which is more glorious. Yes, the old covenant was glorious, but the new is even more glorious. And we're reminded of that when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain before the three men. And then we are told, if the ministry that brought condemnation, you see, if you can't keep the law, then you are condemned. How much glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? And we, are, we all know that we are saved through faith alone in Christ alone and we are made right with God. That is how we are righteous. Not because we have been good, but because God, Jesus has been perfect, died on the cross for us and God sees us through Jesus. Verse 10, for what was glorious had no glory in in comparison to the surpassing glory. The glory that Moses had passes, but the glory that we have will never go away, as it says in verse 11. It was transitory with Moses, but how much greater is that it lasts? It goes on forever and ever until Jesus comes again. And so he makes this comparison. He points out to them, yes, the Old Testament was good, but there is something greater out with the old and in with the new. And because of that, there are actually three effects for those of us 
who trust in the Lord Jesus. The first is we are very bold. What does he mean here? He doesn't mean that we are proud. No, it means that we can actually be confident. Moses kept covering his face up. But we can go forward for we reflect not on ourselves but we reflect God's glory. We know what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus. As he says to us in verse 13, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. It's a little bit like when, as we grow older we don't really want to look in the mirror. So he's saying we don't really want to see that when the glory has gone off Moses' face. So we are reminded here of the fact that there there are two covenants. The old is gone, the new is, is here with us. And what takes place is this. That because the new covenant has come, as it says in verse 14, but their minds were made dull, for it is to this day the, the same veil reminds, remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Well, what he's getting at here is if you just keep telling people the law, and I'll make... Uh, more of this point in the application in a moment. But if you just keep telling people law and ritual, they won't come to trust in Jesus. They won't have their eyes opened and understand how to live. About three weeks ago, I had a friend of mine who I've known for about 50 years now ring me. I've been ministering to him for a long time He's a Buddhist and he rang me and he said, I have some good news for you. I said, what's that? He said, I have been reading my Bible. And I said, oh. And he said, I read a verse, Galatians 2.20, which says, Christ loved me and died for me. And he said, I have given my life Holy to God. He said, that verse spoke to me. Now here is a man who has lived his life trying to keep rules to get peace. But he reads the scriptures and the verse speaks to him. And the scales come off his eyes and his heart. And that's what Paul is saying to us here, if we keep giving people law, their hearts don't change. But it is when they see Christ that a change takes place. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts, but when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil has been taken away from this friend of mine's eyes. 
Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So there we have it. What we have is, first of all, a comparison between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old Testament, Old Covenant, brings death and condemnation. New Covenant brings righteousness and salvation through faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Two applications. The first is this. Sometimes when you talk to people outside of the church and say, do you think you'll go to heaven? And they'll often say, well, I hope the good things I've done outweigh the bad things. You know, I've never committed murder. I've never committed adultery. You know, I honour my mother and father I look after my wife. I don't cheat on the boss. So I hope it'll work that way for me. But we all know that that is not the way of salvation. That it is through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a little bit silly saying that sort of thing, isn't it? You know, let's say you get pulled over by a policeman for doing 60 in a 50 zone. You can't really say to him, well, look, I was only doing 30 200 metres back. The good doesn't outweigh the bad. You still get your ticket and it still costs you $115, whatever it is. And so it is with God. Yes, keep all the commandments and you get to heaven, otherwise find another alternative. So the first thing for us is to bear that in mind. Charles Wesley knew his Bible. He was religious and yet he had no assurance of salvation. And one day he was reading the scriptures and came to understand that you are saved through faith alone in Christ alone. On the 21st of May, 1738, it was, and on that very day he wrote a hymn, And Can It Be? Some of us will know it. I won't sing it to you, otherwise you would leave the building immediately. But in the fourth stanza, these words are written. You will have sung them. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and follow thee. It's a biographical hymn, and you ought to go home and read it. It's a biographical, autobiographical hymn of his conversion. What is he talking about? My chains fell off. The chains of trying to earn his salvation fell off. My heart was free. One of the ladies in the morning congregation said to me, told me how she came to a faith in the Lord Jesus, which actually illustrates this. She said she went to a Christian endeavour camp and on the Saturday night, a number of young people got up and gave their testimony about their trust in Jesus. And she said, I sat there 
And she said, I couldn't say any of the things that they said. She said, I couldn't say that. And on Sunday night when I went to church, I heard again about Jesus and I went to my leader and I said, I want to become a Christian. And she said, my heart was free. And that's where it was. And that's where our hearts are, isn't it? You know, come unto me, says Jesus, all who are weary. And we know we can't earn our salvation. And so when we talk to other people, don't talk to them about rules. Talk to them about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The second application that I want to make is one that Christians often fall into. We can become legalistic. You see, what we can do at times is say, I believe in Jesus, but also I have to do this to be saved. Some of the things are cultural. For example, cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, if you have ever been to church in Brazil, the people I went to church with in Brazil mustn't have been Christians because they were filthy. They were very dirty. They didn't have water. And the church had a dirt floor. Maybe we ought to go in in for that rather than uh, the floor we've got. (laughs) No insurance then. The building was filthy and they came along and I couldn't understand a word they said because it was all in Portuguese but they were people who had a trust in the Lord Jesus. Cleanliness is not necessary for godliness and the one I put in the bulletin which shows my age, she can't be a Christian. She doesn't wear stockings. Or there might be a theological thing that you've added to the gospel. To be a real Christian, you've got to speak in tongues. Or the only Bible that you can read from to be, if you're a Christian is the King James Version. Now, these are all very old illustrations. But you think about it. What might you add? Oh, he can't be Christian. He keeps losing his temper. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says we're saved through faith alone in Christ alone. Nothing else. See, Paul says to us, there is freedom. Now, when we talk with others, yes, we may wish that they came to church. We may wish that they read their Bible more or they prayed. They may wish, we may wish that they have taken up their cross and followed Jesus more closely. 
But there's only one question God is going to ask us when we stand before him after we've died. What did you believe about Jesus? That's all. Nothing else. John 3.16 Believe and not perish. Nothing else. And we keep adding things as a church. No. Oh, you can't really worship God if you don't use an organ. Well, we're in big trouble, aren't we? Well, this is the way you have to pray. We keep adding to the gospel. And we need to say, is that in the Bible? And if it's not, then we need to be free of it. And so, it's hard for non-Christians when Christians actually make rules on top of faith. Because they look at us and they say, well, they'll go to heaven because they go to church or they're good people. And we need to constantly say, I might do these good things, but I only do them because of my love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Christ loved me and Christ died for me. And so we need to talk to people about that rather than about our rules. This was the struggle that Paul had in Corinth. He had gone and taught them, if you want to go to heaven, believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. And people had come in and said, yes, believe in Jesus and the resurrection, but also keep these rules. And also think that you are going to power on in the Christian life and have no problems. And so what Paul is getting at in this very complicated passage is really saying to us, just look at the Lord Jesus Christ and put all the rest of it aside. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you'll apply it to the lives of each one of us as we need it. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we might be able to strip away those things which inhibit our relationship with you. And we pray, Father, when we get a chance to speak to others, that we'll talk to them about, not about rules, but about what Jesus has done for us and what it's like to live with him as our Lord and Saviour. For we pray in his name. Amen.